this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. ridiculous welcome friends to perfect stranger things a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums today steve and i cover the bathtub this is the pen ultimate episode of the first season what an amazing episode and a complex episode and i think at the end of this we think how are they gonna tie up all these loose ends So in my experience, this ride is even more fun knowing that they do stick the landing at the end. This week, over at Cocoons of Horror, Steve and I are covering Nightmare Alley. Of course, not a classic horror film and not an influence on the Duffers, but I was interested in covering at least one of the Oscar-nominated films from this year. If you're interested, it is available right now on HBO Max. Give it a watch and then join us over at Cocoons of Horror. I'll include a short clip of our conversation at the end of this podcast, and you have my word, there will be no spoilers. Okay, so before Steve and I jump into the bathtub together, a little rub-a-dub-dub with that brilliant bubbly buckaroo, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This a damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna sit right here and talk about it. We'll talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. So, Steve, I thought we were going to record episode eight this morning. Uh huh. And I watched all of episode eight, and I made notes for it. I I prepped for the podcast, and I thought, you know what? This doesn't seem right. Did you skip episode seven? I skipped right past episode seven. Oh. Is this why we had to postpone the podcast for an hour? No, I had to pick up my son. That's why. So then I went and checked and see what we had recorded already. And I realized I needed to watch episode seven. So it's up to you. We can do seven or eight. I'm ready for both. Um, I've. I haven't rewatched eight. Are you saying you'd rather do seven? Is that what you're trying to? Don't be so <laughs> passive aggressive about this. Just be direct. <laughs> okay. I would prefer to do seven because, as I mentioned, I haven't rewatched eight. Fine. All right. Let's get going here. You can do eight. You do seven. I'll do eight. Yeah. <laughs> no spoilers, please. <laughs> All right. Okay. I, all right. Here, I've identified six major storylines. I was going to do a seventh, but the seventh storyline is one line. So I'm just going to read it to start this off. All right. Mm-hmm. Will is finally found by the Demogorgon. That's it. That's the, that's how this episode. That, that's ends. your will. That's your will. Uh, that's my will storyline. Story that's right. 
So I didn't think it warranted a storyline proper. I just thought I would absolutely mention it because it's it's a really important plot point that and it is the how this particular episode ends. I will say this about it though. I think that I think this didn't come soon enough. I feel like everyone else is getting killed and eaten by the Demogorgon. Will lasted a little bit too long in the upside down. What do you, am, am I am I overstepping my hospitality here, Steve? No, I think so. My take was, I guess, I didn't come to the realization until just now that he was just found by the Demogorgon. Right. Okay. I I had figured that you just assumed that he had he was gotten that he was gotten and then for whatever reason was not being you know consumed or you know or killed whatever and right. I couldn't and that's where I was a little confused because I couldn't understand why he was in like demigorgon uh, holding tank something like that right because um, yeah because I I just assumed he he didn't ever seem like he was actively escaping he was. Or you know, so I didn't get the sense that he was hiding, and he had been hiding successfully. Mm-hmm. I just I, and I and that's where I my confusion was more along the lines, not so much he should have, uh, you know, to paraphrase you, he should have been killed sooner. My thing was just, I, I, why is he alive? Like why why is he being kept alive? What's the is there a plan here? And I think early on, maybe episode one, Jonathan says, Will's really good at hiding. So maybe that suggests that this particular person is well equipped to hide from the Demogorgon. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It seems like there's been a lot under the a lot of water under the bridge since that episode, though. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna roll them. We have a number two. This is the bathtub plot, which is sort of Mike and Friends Part Two. All right. After Hopper conks out the goons, all of the protagonists convene at the buyer's house. Mike and Nancy hug. Mike explains the upside down, the Demogorgon, the gate, etc. They try to use Elle's Dr. X powers to locate Will and Barb. When she can't do it, they decide to construct a submersion tank for her. Mr. Clark pauses his movie date to explain how a sensory depriving tank works. They all go to the school gym and build a tank and a kiddie pool. Eleven gets into the pool and projects into the astral plane. Turns out Barb is dead. Then she finds Will hiding in his castle buyer's fort. Will tells them to hurry. I think we've been underestimating Mr. Clark, Steve. Yeah. This guy is living right. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Clark, he can get it. He's he's in his house showing someone who does not want to watch the thing, the thing. <laughs> Explaining sort of movie magic to her. This mustache is working for him, man. It is working for him. There's a reason why these kids look up to him. Yeah, I mean, he rocks that stash pretty well. Do we know his girlfriend's name, or do you get the sense that this is not his girlfriend? This is just what he does with every is, girl in this town. Is, this is just Wednesday. 
it is a Saturday night. He says it's a Saturday night. Okay. So even if it is sort of one among many, this is a Saturday night gal. <laughs> the uh, the no more secret scene between Nancy and Mike is pretty great. Yeah, that's one of those where it's such a um, it's it feels like a breath of fresh air, and this is what the show does so well. And we've talked about this in previous episodes how it in the midst of all the supernatural tension and all the other uh, things that you're kind of locked in on, um, the human element is still very well presented. And and sometimes there's things you don't even realize you want or were kind of needing. And to have those the siblings kind of have a moment, because we haven't had that, right? I mean, they've been, they've been right out the gate just typical age difference like right not necessarily rivalry but just kind of this this hormonal disdain for each other and anyone who's ever had a sibling especially if they're about three years older three years younger knows the kind of i don't know love and disdain relationship you're talking about yeah and it's not even just the uh, the age it's it's you know she's trying to be popular he's mm-hmm. he's kind of a nerd and so there's already like a there's 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 a tension that's being built in so when that gets reconciled at least in this moment it's just it is it's refreshing it's adds a little relief because you're kind of looking for relief and all mm-hmm. in wherever you can and so when you see it happen even relationally it's sort of just it disarms you a little bit it, it gets you if it's like, okay, you could check that off. You know, that's not, yeah. that tension is, is released. Now it was a really on, nice yeah. moment and it didn't last for very long. It's like they didn't pour syrup all over it. It was like they had an understanding. Like, let's not, let's, let's not keep secrets from each other anymore. And then immediately it goes back to their relationship. You know, it's like, well, yeah. do you like Jonathan? No. Do you like Eleven? Gross. It's like, and right. They're, they're right back to square one. No more secrets, okay? From now on, we tell each other everything. Okay. Do you like Jonathan now? What? No. No, it's it's not it's not like that. Do you like Eleven? What? Gross. Yeah, that's that's a great moment. I mean, I, I think it was so so well done in that uh, you know that. Okay, we're gonna be honest, but not not too honest. But it also felt. It felt real. It didn't feel just, I mean, it was kind of played for laughs, but just because you're telling somebody like, hey, we're going to be honest with each other for everything, there are still certain things that we hold, mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah. and I liked that. Um, and I liked that they both did it because that even made it, the bond feel uh, even more real to a certain yeah. degree because they were both doing the same exact thing to each other. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really liked that. So then, all right, so now that we're sort of talking about all the, the emotional touchstones here, the scene between Elle and Joyce was really moving to me. Mm. You know, in the same way that Mike and Nancy are trying to finally build a bridge to each other. This is a, a girl who's never had a mother. And here's a woman who's missing her son. So she sort of has this maternal absence in her life. So when she's talking with Eleven and trying to comfort her, it really works for both characters. You really believe that both of these characters need a conversation like this. Interesting. So 
my wife had a, a, a different reaction to some of that. Like, I think she felt less moved by their relationship hmm. because I think she felt uh, that um, it's time for Eleven L- to move out. Is that what she was thinking? <laughs> that L was being used. <laughs> that L was still being exploited. Oh yeah, because she's trying to get Will back, right? Right, and that and that while there is a maternal care, uh, my wife sort of read a different you know, interpretation of like, well, the maternal care is still maternal care for her son. I will care for this, this tool that will get my son uh, back. So that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So that was, and I don't know that, I think it's purely an interpretation, right? Because I don't think that, there, that the directing or performance necessarily lended towards that. But given the frantic nature of, of the mother and, and mm. everything she's been doing. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a leap. And, and I, and, it, and so it's it sort of, so her saying that, and she said it pretty early on in the episode. So I, I was kind of, I was looking at it through that lens, which I hadn't before when I watched it the first time, I, I looked at it more of, of a sweet, hmm. you know, almost like, cause she's, she wants, cause she is a mother and she's trying to, trying to mother, L and and with the absence of will that's sort of like a mothering by proxy but it was interesting to see it that way and go well i mean is that the case is is this a protecting an asset um, mm-hmm. more more so than really feeling for this person and so that's i mean it, right and does joyce be... even know that because her you know she wants so desperately to get will back that she's willing to use any tool at her disposal to do it is she really conscious of this, or is this just something like this is just maternal instinct? Right. How much does that matter? Right. I mean, it brings up a question of um, altruism. Is there such a thing? Sure. You know, right. what is our motivations? Well, period? I read it completely altruistically, but I can appreciate Heather's take on this too. A little detail that I really liked was that Elle's wearing Nancy's old dress, right? Right. And it's tattered and it's shabby. And it just looks like it's been, like, run through the ringer, right? And when she's on the astral plane, you know, when she projects herself into that sort of soundstage, when she's walking on the, you know, half an inch of water or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. that dress is pristine. Interesting. It's like... I guess I didn't really notice that. It's totally... It's brand new. It looks like it's just... Or it's just been washed or whatever. It's like her mental image... Of what that dress means to her. To her, it's hmm. not shabby when it's when it's actually in her head. It's like the most beautiful pink dress you could ever imagine, because it's all it's all about how she's projecting herself. Well, and interesting too, right? I mean, if that's the case, she could be wearing anything. She could be wearing anything, but it's that dress that but it's like her first dress. dress, right? And and the dress, and not even just that's her first dress, but that's her first like it's kind of like a gift dress, and it's yeah. a, and it's it's representative of fitting her new in. life, and it, she wants it to be so she cleans it up. You know, it's like I want to, I still want to wear this. This this isn't just a means to an end costume. This is yeah. something that I would like. I would like this to be part of of who I am. Yeah, I, and I love that attention to storytelling. I don't know if it's sort of an, an intentional Matrix homage. You know, because you kind of, in the construct, you're wearing, you know, what your mind's eye sees yourself to wear. Or mm-hmm. whether it's just like, no, this is, she's not shabby in her mind. 
this is not a shabby dress. This is a, a really important thing that she owns that sort of represents something that's new and and pure in her life. The other thing about it is that when she's in the astral plane and she's talking with Will, she's speaking a lot more fluently than she usually does. Mm. She says something like, Will, you just have to hold on a little bit longer. And she doesn't string words together like that. And so you kind right. of get the sense this this is sort of L as she exists in her head. Okay, listen, you tell him to, to stay where he is. We're coming. We're coming. Okay, we're coming, honey. Just, just hold on a, a little longer. Will. Will. Almost a freeing place for her in some regard. Actually, this is a pretty important part of the plot, the bathtub. So did you have anything else that you noticed about this that you wanted to bring up? Um, I love the um, almost the, the great escape kind of approach. Like you get these action montages of the, just kind of getting this thing together. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a pretty – it brings – the gang gets together, right? Like yeah. everybody, everybody who's been on this mission – splintered in in different directions comes together like the avengers are assembled that's right and they all have different pieces of the puzzle right right and i think that that's that's another one of those moments that's a relief right like Uh because you know all this information is out there scattered and you want it all to get together and so when it does and there's that same sort of sense of like what very little i know about um you know role-playing games but like you take on different characters with different strengths and different attributes that's why they all work together right as a team and so there you kind of get that sense here with hopper's hopper's got brute strength and and but he's also got some some investigatory skills and then you just you have problem solvers of different with different qualities and they all come Mm -hmm. together and it's just a really cool moment yeah it's a great scene and i like that this all kind of coalesces at the school because as we've talked about a few times is like there's this parallel between the survival tactics that you learn at school and the survival tactics that you need to use against the monster. It's like you're like, there's two kinds of peril in this story for these kids. There's the social pressure and there's all of the politics of all of the friend groups. And there, you know, there's the peer pressure monsters alongside of the, the actual real monster. And it all kind of comes together on this common ground. So the battleground actually is the school grounds. Which is funny because like so much of the show is trying to get away from the school. That's right. Um, and now you got to get, now you got to sneak into the school. And... Yeah. I'm rolling it. This is number six. This is Steve Harrington and friends. Steve has a falling out with Tommy and Carol. When they call Nancy a slut, Steve drives off as Tommy shouts at him. Steve drives to the movie theater and helps the owner remove the offensive spray paint. Um, Steve, did the show do enough to rehabilitate Steve Harrington? That's a good question. Because I think, again, we're looking through the lens of having gone through the journey with them through multiple seasons. Yeah. So, So I know it's coming, but... I don't remember having this problem the first time, but I seem to have it this time, which was like, that seemed quick. I was thinking about this. I think I I screwed this up for myself because I watched episode eight right before I watched episode seven. Fair. (laughs) And so you kind of get to see the, the full 
conversion experience of Harrington. But I think that this 90 seconds of screen time is meant to be his come to Jesus moment, right? Right. He breaks up with Tommy and Carol and he goes and helps remove the spray paint. I think I'm supposed to track his full conversion at, at this point. And what you're saying is that first, when you first watched it, you were on board. You weren't sort of looking askance at this. And by the in this time, because I know it's coming, I felt like it felt really abrupt to to get him to that point. Because I didn't, I don't recall. I I don't feel like there were any hints or clues along the way. Um, well, he did go and apologize to Nancy, but it was it was a pretty. You know, he said I was a jerk or whatever. She says, yeah, you are. And he, he kind of apologized, but then she kind of blew him off. So, But really, Steve is in this episode for like 90 seconds or less. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I, I was I was curious to get your take on it. I mean, I was, I'm, you know, okay with it because I know where it goes. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I kind of felt like ah, maybe there was an opportunity to to sort of give some breadcrumbs earlier to get us to this point. Because mm -hmm. um, it's a pretty... Uh, it's a pretty stark change, but well, I, mean, I think maybe he still true. likes. I mean, he's still horny for Nancy. I think that that's yeah, that can be true. It could be that that's sort of motivating everything. And so when they start talking smack about her, then he defends her. But he certainly didn't defend her when they were spray painting the the slut language on the movie. Yeah, thing. and that, and I guess that's kind of the thing is because it was a pretty pretty egregious what they were doing, and they kept doing it. You know, I mean, this is a guy who's broke cameras and, um, yeah. you know, he, he's, it's not as if he was reluctant, it seemed like, to, to, to get into these situations. And I guess that's what I'm, I may have been looking for was some sign of reluctance early on or, or something that maybe was more to the point of like, he's really hurt now, not to to excuse his actions, but mm -hmm. to be like, okay, well, he's actually genuinely hurt as opposed to it all felt like it was just pride stuff. So it didn't have that translatable, like, okay, well, he, he went overboard because he was working through some serious emotions. It really just seemed like he was, yeah. he was just a dick. And then, well, uh, the thing, the most egregious thing that he does is that he just doesn't care about Barb's, like Barb is actually missing. Like Barb is, she is a missing person at this point. This is his girlfriend's best friend. She's gone yeah. missing, and he does not care. Well, he's gone missing. She's gone missing since his house. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Like, it was his party was the last place she'd ever been seen. Yeah. And so, so, so yeah. Get, yeah it, it, so that's, I think, the issues that I have is that, that there wasn't, all of a sudden, he has this this change of heart very quickly after damage has been done and I would have even maybe bought it had there been like he was, he was doing community service where he was being forced to do, uh, the, you know, remove the graffiti because then now maybe he's coming face to face with his actions. And even just a moment where he's just scrubbing at it and looking at the words and kind of realizing, man, I did this. You know what I mean? Like it, to, to have it be completely a voluntary, mm -hmm. um, moment of, uh, you know, T taking accountability that 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 just seemed a little hollow for me well it, se it seemed more like yeah. moving the plot along that's a good point all right let's let's talk about the length of this season it's eight episodes right yeah 
if this Which was a, wild, I, it's crazy it is wild that they because it's so packed, right? It's so rich. Yeah. They do so much with so many characters, and I think if this is a ten episode season, you probably have you know a full twenty minutes with Harrington coming to grips with who he was, um, right? And yet the way that they've done it, it's sort of a nitpick. I don't know. Because I don't necessarily have to love Steve Harrington to enjoy the resolution of this season. Because and in fact, if you I could, don't, you could never redeem it. You know? Yeah, sure. If I don't love Harrington, the, the worst that happens is I think, well, Nancy's sort of a fool. Nancy should be with Jonathan. She shouldn't be with Steve Harrington. But that's not even the. I guess it's sort of crucial to Nancy's story. But I almost like that they're really focusing in on the Demogorgon plot this episode. Well, I was really, speaking of the, the eight episodes when we were done with it. And then we, you know, and then it's like, what's next? Or, you know, to watch episode eight. And then I looked and I'm like, well, where's the other one? Well, there's like, sure. this can't be eight. Because then, because yeah. I mean, really, honestly, it's like I was taken aback. Even though I've already seen this season, I'm like, this is the penultimate episode yeah yeah that's right it feels like we're we're at least one to two away i'm rolling it number five ted and karen wheeler karen finds l's basement hideout while ted answers the door brenner and goons come in and search the place ted and karen know nothing about l or really anything at all <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, it's funny how, like, almost all the characters provide something. And, and I mean, these parents. I love how, how stupid Ted is. It, he's, he's my favorite. All right. Brenner tells them that uh, Mike is in danger. Ted convinces Karen to trust the nice government officials. Steve, Ted, he's the unsung hero of this whole show. I just, I cannot. My wife was watching this with me while we, this morning. And I just can't stop laughing at Ted. The, his lines, like he's walking, to the, he's walking to the front door, and he just says, "Hold your horses." <laughs> I just, I just, I don't know. There's something about his delivery that's perfect. He's like a cartoon yeah. tortoise or something. Yeah, and him, and I really appreciated just him saying "Hold your horses" because I did take a moment to kind of think about how, <laughs> man, this is just a phrase that we've just, just been fine with i mean how many times have you been how many times have you been told that your horses need to be held well it's been several years however i used to get told that phrase sure uh have you i mean so so have you ever told your kids to hold their horses no but i'm going to i absolutely am going to for sure He's also looking at a picture of Eleven, and he says, oh, my God, is she Russian? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I love that subtly, you know, the Cold War theme has been sort of throughout this. Uh, I don't know if it's been in every episode, but it's been hinted at throughout. You yeah. Know? You know, the whole reason well, that the they is... found the Upside Down <laughs> is because they wanted to spy on the Russians, right? Right. Well, that's our whole life when we were kids. I mean, gosh, the Russians. Yeah, if Nothing. it wasn't something we were worrying about, it was something that we were watching on television. We were watching, you know, Rocky. We were watching Rocky Four. We were watching, 
you know, was Top Gun, Red Dawn. It was a big part. Yeah. It was a big part of well, our childhood. I, it's crazy because, I, I mean, talk about how well propaganda works, too, right? Because we were simultaneously told that the Russians were going, like, were the biggest threat. Also, if you... It, Russia is just a place where people stand in line for bread. They're, they're, it's a terrible existence. Communism fails. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's, it's, a, it's a tale of, of two worries, right? I mean, like, because well, like, if Russia takes over, that's what it'll be like for us. It's like, well, then how can Russia take over? Right. And we'd see, like, Gorbachev, like, spoofed in Mad Magazine. It was, like, all throughout sort of kid pop culture. Yeah. Um, I think what we are probably not old enough to remember like a nuclear drill, like where you get under your desk. I mean, right. That was more sort of like the generation before us. We, we did, yeah. you know, we the did drills like that, but yeah, I mean, now it's just uh, active shooter drills. So it's nice to know that the threat is within the threat is real. now the, th- the threat yeah. is, is absolutely real. Or another way to look at it is that, we we know that there are nuclear missiles pointed at us, and we don't care. <laughs> yeah, well, we we're probably deserve Russians. it. You know, we invented Twitter. We probably deserve every bit of it. <laughs> um, I'm gonna roll it. Number one is Mike L. Dustin and Lucas Part One. L's wig is gone, but Mike tells her that she's really pretty anyway. They almost kiss, but they are interrupted. Lucas radios in and says that the bad men are coming. Then the goons show up in white vans. Mike interrupts Karen like an ungrateful little prick. <laughs> then the kids ride off on bikes E.T. style. But instead of flying away, El Jedi flips the van. They hide out in a Stand By Me style junkyard. Lucas and El apologize and finally become friends. They all hide in an abandoned bus when a helicopter flies over. After a radio conversation with Nancy and Hopper, the goons arrive at the junkyard. Hopper makes short work of the goons, and then they all go to the buyer's house. So, Steve, is Mike a little turd? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he might be, right? I mean, he's a flawed character. He's a flawed character, and I think that you could, like, I think in a... In a lot of shows, he would be the main character. Like in a lot of sort of 80s style kids movies. It's like your Kevin Arnold. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But, and I don't know if he's like full turn in this episode, but we've watched seven episodes now. I think that we are giving Mike a pass. I think he might be a little turd. Really? Yeah. Is this is this more of your Karen advocacy coming through, or it might it might be it might be a little bit of that, but just the way he treats Lucas, because you can't you can't love Karen but hold her accountable for her parenting. That's true. That's that's well. Let's see. She's not great. She's not she's not the best mother, but uh, she that's was kind of what you like. You, you she like was. That, <laughs> I do. I, I think she was great in the scene where she's on the phone and he's interrupting her. Like, that is exactly how a mother would respond. Michael! If anyone asks where I am, I've left the country. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just think that Mike 
I think he's understandable. I think he's authentic. In all of the ways that Will is kind of altruistic, I think that Mike is the opposite. Those two are sort of like a yin-yang kind of thing for me. Well, but Mike is Mike is in the middle of it, man. Mike is in the middle of uh, you're, you're, you're coming straight on with the puberty train, and then now a girl is in your life. Maybe that's and it. You're, and your friend of yours is gone. Maybe we um, all turn into turds when we fall in love for the, for the first time. Yeah. I mean, and so he's, he's, it's all a balancing act. He's, he's, he's in the middle of a balancing act that he didn't even know he had to be in. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to fight some sort of supernatural entity to get your friend back. Yeah. And your dad's Ted. You're, yeah, Ted's not you, the best. Who are you, who are you going to talk to about this? And I, I think we're I think we're finding out that the that Ted is really the, the person to blame. Ted's the demigorgon. Ted is a deadbeat dad. I mean, he's there, but he's not really parenting. I don't think Karen deserves any of the blame. <laughs> this entire this entire show is designed to really just be it's it's about dads. It's about Ted. This is all about Ted. I'm rolling it. I already have a one. Already have six. Number four. Hopper and Joyce part two. Hopper convinces Nancy not to go into her house when he sees the goons and the helicopter. The group goes to the buyer's house to get Jonathan's walkie-talkie. They contact Mike, who is hiding in a bus. Lucas suggests that Nancy betrayed them by drawing a Lando Calrissian analog. I think, actually, uh, Dustin does that. But Mike picks up the call. Hopper knocks out the school bus goons like an action hero and saves the children. After the bathtub scene, he and Joyce go back to the Hawkins lab and get themselves caught. Do you think it's part of Hopper's plan to get them caught? I kind of think so. Is this a good I mean, plan? <laughs> is this well, a good, good plan? Well, I mean, if your goal is to get caught and you get caught, then so far the plan is working. Mm-hmm. Look, man, you got to take victories every time you get them, right? And so sometimes it means just sort of moving the goalpost a little bit, right? <laughs> like I know a guy who consistently bombs on stage, and he goes up there and he bombs, and he goes, "Well, I'm not trying to make people laugh. I'm trying to make them uncomfortable." It's like, well, okay. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you can do win. That. You win. Yeah, I mean, you got it. Um, also, I'm not going to book you because I'm booking a show f- where people make people laugh. <laughs> Oh, geez. Is that self-aware or is that lack of self-awareness? See, that's what's hard to say, right? So, Because, I mean, I, I feel like it's self-aware enough to try to treat me like I'm a moron. Well, right? or, like, so it, or it's I an mean, excuse. It, it's just, it's, it's... I mean, it could be an excuse. He would right? rather I mean, people but laugh, is, but he, he actually has to say that afterwards because he feels bad about it. He has to be self-aware enough because I have I've seen other comedians and I use that term very loosely go up there and bomb and say, "Well, the audience just doesn't get what I'm doing," and I'm like, "Well, they get that your words aren't funny." <laughs> what else do they need to and, get? And they're responding accordingly. But like that's the thing is that so that to me is a lack of self-awareness, right? Like I'm I'm doing well, they just don't know it. It's like, well, that's that's actually how you know you're doing well, is that you do well. Well, and the show that you run, would you say it 
it's a very specific sort of audience. Like, is it possible that these comics would do better in a different venue? I, the ones I'm speaking of, no, because I've never seen them do good at any venue. I see. Um, <laughs> so that's that's part of it, right? I mean, and the other thing is my favorite is when someone's like, well, I was set up to fail. I mean, I was put up after somebody who did really well. And it's like, I don't know that that's being mm-hmm. set up to fail. I mean... I mean, that means that's an audience that's actually there for comedy. It's not like some of the shows we've done where it's like, hey, I know you guys are eating soup, but we're about to be a comedy show. So so Hopper, I don't think he's the best chess player here. His strategy is usually I'm going to go in guns blazing or fists blazing. Once I'm in there, I'll figure it out. I mean, he's basically an action hero in the show. Yeah, he's pretty close to it. I feel like he is as much of an action hero as the children are super sleuths. And I think it's, I think what, why that kind of works is because it's like, well, someone's got to do something. And so it, it grounds it a little bit to the, look, these are kids. This is a local sheriff. These are all, nobody's super qualified to do the things that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's part of the, the charm of the show, right? I mean, like Hopper is the action hero by default. Um, he's probably the strongest person in Hawkins at this point. Sure. Um, and, and because, and one of the things that gives him a little more of a, of a superpower is the, I got nothing else to lose. Right. Yeah. That is something of a superpower, right? Right, and so and it, and it's gonna take people off guard. So like if you're and so if you're looking at him versus the uh, you know the lab the lab goons, we don't know that this is a, a you know a high highly trained militaristic group of folks, right? I mean they're they are obviously protecting something pretty valuable, but we don't know how the infrastructure of that security team is exactly. Um, yeah, they Nobody have a little was... bit of a, I guess, a stormtrooper vibe, right? Right, and the thing is, is let's you know, if you really want to try to analyze this, it's like they didn't have a gate to the upside down, like for a real long time. They've been working on some top secret stuff, but they may not have necessarily felt the need to have like this high tech military protection. So, so this group might be able to be had, right? And sure. And can they be had by Hopper? Maybe. I mean, maybe in the sense that, like, again, Hopper doesn't care. He's not going in there with this. All right, now what? Are, I got to play the angles. He's just going in there. I'm going to start punching and I'm going to start knocking fools out. And it works. It works for him. Yeah. So I mean, it's sort of in the same way that. Um, I I can buy Bruce Willis's John McClane Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, I can buy Hopper in this particular situation, right? I did. I never got the sense that that John McClane was trained for this, but I got the sense that he was just gung ho enough. Sure, I like that. It's Nancy's idea to get Will's walkie-talkie. She's almost the perfect bridge between adulthood and still being a kid. So that the when the adults need to find the kids, well, let, let me just put it this way. There's two sets of adults that are looking for these kids. And the Hawkins goons don't have Nancy's help. Nancy is still a kid enough herself that she knows, well, if you, want to, if you actually want to get a hold of my brother, you got to call him on the walkie-talkie. She's smart enough to know it, and she also has the intelligence that the goons don't have. So that whole, th- that whole thing was very believable to me. 
I didn't see it coming, and I thought it was very effective. And that's and that's just it, right? I think the idea that this isn't like this this team is kids. It's mm-hmm. down on their luck. Uh, police officers it's frantic mothers that all have a motivation that is different right that's it's personal there is a sense of well if this doesn't succeed maybe i don't want to live anyway kind of approach right mm-hmm. so there's a there's a certain um like i said there's there's a certain power that goes along with that and a certain and it's an unpredictable uh adversary so even if you are like, well, I'm trained to handle these things, you can maybe be taken out. Like I played cards. We have a, a friend who we've played poker together and he like I follow the logic and and this is how it's supposed to be played. And, and this is the card that you would this is when you would fold this is when you would mm-hmm. fold. And he can, and he'll just talk the entire time and not pay attention <laughs> to his hand. And I'll be neck and neck with this guy because it doesn't matter if I'm playing it exactly right. He gets a two on the river, and it's like, huh, well, that's the card I needed, and there was no statistical reason to stay in. Um, so that person becomes maddeningly frustrating. But then, ironically, when at the end, when he, when he gets close to it, and he's like, oh, wait, I have a chance to win this thing, and he starts playing with strategy, uh, you win. Yeah, right. Sure. So you, you have you have to maintain that. So when you when you go back to Hopper, you know, hey, he plans on getting caught. Is that a good strategy? It's like, well, maybe not. But also maybe that's exactly what Hopper should be doing. I'm rolling it. Uh, number three, Hopper and Joyce part one. Hopper and Joyce show up at the police station to find Jonathan in cuffs. Hopper questions Nancy and Jonathan about traps that they found in his trunk. Joyce berates Jonathan for trying to kill a creature by himself. Then the school bully and his mother arrive at the station. Hopper hears, finally, about how Eleven broke his arm and puts it all together. So this is a really crucial scene because finally Hopper has enough puzzle pieces to figure out that L really exists. And I think that this show did a really great job of stringing Hopper along, revealing just enough to him episode by episode, and I don't think that we think he's stupid. The fact that he doesn't really understand what's going on in the plot until episode seven doesn't make me think less of him. I think that they've done just enough to keep the right information from him so that he can still be believable as a pretty decent detective. Right, and I think that's where the the Avengers Assemble thing really comes into play and works, right? Because... We know everything that everybody else knows, and we want each person to sort of fill in the other because um, we want this aha moment so we could, you know, because they'll be better. They'll be better together, right? That's that's the thought process. Thought that um, that the Powell and Callahan scenes with the school bully were really funny. Like I laughed really hard. Ma'am, I need you to calm what down. What is your name, deputy? Well, I'm an officer, okay? Name and badge number. Both what of you. the hell is going on here? Chief. These men are humiliating my son. No, 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 okay, that's yes. not true. There was some kind of fight, Chief. A psychotic child broke his arm. A little girl, Chief, a little one. That tone. Do you hear that tone? Honestly, I'm just trying to say the fact. I don't have time yeah. for this. They just can't help themselves but make fun of this kid. Oh, I love that, yeah. And she it's, can make and it's, you fly. It, it, she can make you piss yourself. Yeah, this kid's like, got a broken arm. What? <laughs> oh, Jesus, man, that's a Gucci. As promised, here's an excerpt of Steve and I's conversation about Nightmare Alley. 
Again, there will be no spoilers in this short excerpt. Just a little talk about the horror that is carnival life. But before we get to that, let's take a break for capitalism. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're just under a month to go until Badass Fest 6. Each year, we take the blockbuster month of July to celebrate the 80s and 90s action stars we grew up with. Big guns, big muscles, bigger explosions. If it's dumb, fun, and kicking ass, we love it. This year, we're inviting you to our hometown to watch a secret badass film with us. Afterwards, we'll record the podcast. Get your tickets and full event info at baldmove.com live. No hints about the movie, except we're pretty sure most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be a real crowd pleaser. Our neighborhood theater features a full bar, all your favorite snacks, and we'll be providing some custom movie-themed cocktails. It's happening Friday, June 21st at 7 p.m. right here in the Queen City, Cincinnati. Get full details and tickets now at baldmove.com live. And hey, if you'll be in town on Saturday and have an appetite for outdoor adventure, join Aaron on an optional side quest as he guides a group of intrepid bald move kayakers down our national scenic river, the Little Miami. Once again, get full details on all main and side quests and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live. Hey, the boys are back in town. Just in time to heat up summer, our favorite blood-soaked, darkly humorous deconstruction of the superhero mythos returns on Amazon Prime Video. Boys Season 4 gets started on June 13th, but we'll get the drop on them with our preseason preview coverage the week before. It's been a while. A lot's happened since last season. Two whole years, labor dispute, that kind of thing. But we'll be catching you up on all the major plot points and character beats as we left things off. Plus, we'll be looking at the trailers and latest news to piece together what to expect. I know one thing to expect. Right off the bat, they're dropping three debut episodes for the premiere. Woo! But otherwise, who knows? Will Gus Fring reveal why he has absolutely no fear of Homelander? And while we're on that topic, will Butcher and the Boys figure out a way to stop Christian nationalist Superman? Will those crazy kids, Monster Man and Starlight, find a way to make things work? Come laugh, cry, and maybe even throw up in your mouth a little with us as we discover the answers for ourselves this season of The Boys. Find it by searching for the Department of Homelander Security wherever you listen to podcasts, or subscribe to Ball Move Pulp to get all our coverage of sci-fi, fantasy, and superheroic entertainment. Hey 
Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. The first of the summer shows to hit our calendar begins next week, so it's time for us to talk about The Boys. Join us for the Season 4 Preview Podcast this Thursday to see if The Boys can continue to delight and disgust. This is normally where we tell you about what's going on with the latest Prestige podcast. Unfortunately, due to the very hectic nature of our summer lineup, we decided to move Prestige to an every other week release schedule. That means no Prestige podcast this week. We'll be back with more Prestige covered soon. Don't forget about the bear. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Let me throw an idea at you here. How do you feel about carnivals in general? Oh, good lord. <laughs> no. No, no. Just no. Don't want it. Okay. I'm not a bi- I'm not a big fan either. But I feel like Have you been to a carnival? Yes. I'm like there's fairs, like there's there's yeah. county fairs. I don't I don't even like county fairs. I don't And I there's don't. circuses and I'm not sure. Circuses at circus. Never been to a know. circus, never been to oh. Never seen like a clown that wasn't like on the street. Uh, so I don't have a strong. But when you see a clown in its natural habitat, good lord! <laughs> All right. So my feeling is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my and feeling. I've been to like, a, and I've been to a freak show, by the way. Oh, you have. Yeah. All right. I, w- I want to pause here and hear about your freak show experience. Well, it was like a really lame freak show, right? Like, see the horse with the fifth leg, and it was like it was like a. Looked like a doll leg, like taped to its side or something. <laughs> Hard to tell if it was a parody or not. <laughs> All right. So my feeling is that people that go into a carnival kind of know that they're being lied to, right? Uh-huh. It's like when you went to see the, you know, the freak show. You weren't, a, you weren't a really expecting to see some sort of, you know. Th- great feat of uh, freakish nature or something you were I was, I was young see... enough i was young enough to be terrified like i didn't know oh. what my family was bringing me to it was hard to say if this was a reward or a punishment okay. all right so here's my only my here's here's my uh take on this my take on this is that when you play one of those carnival games you you kind of know it's rigged right sure you kind of know like i I know this is rigged. There's only the only way that these people are going to make money is if this is rigged. But it's kind of fun to see if I can beat it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, like sort of like figure out the trick because someone's got to win, right? Maybe it'll be me. Someone's I kind of feel like with a Beavis and Butthead mirror. Why sure. Not me? <laughs>